Father God, we stand in your presence today as small people in the presence of an enormous God. Father, we, we look at our lives sometimes and we, we're forced to ask ourselves, who are we that you are mindful of us? Because, Father, we're so easily distracted, we're easily frustrated. We find a way to put other things in the place of you over and over again. Even though you've opened the door for us to invite you in, to sit at the table and to discuss with you how best to live the life that you've given us, and even though you've redeemed us from our brokenness and our emptiness, still, God, we seem time and time again to want to choose for ourselves where and how we live our lives. And yet, Father, your grace and your mercy are, are just beyond measure. Your patience with us is way more than we could ever imagine or experience in our own lives, Lord. And over and over again, you demonstrate to us what it means to truly love. Father, I just thank you for your love and for your mercy in our lives. I thank you for the examples of your love and mercy on people throughout time. And Father, I just pray today as we open up your word, and look at the book of Exodus and see the story of your people as they're leaving the land of bondage and moving to a land of freedom. Help us, Lord, to learn from them, and not to repeat their mistakes. Help us, Father, to see who they were and look in our own lives and ask ourselves, is there some of that in me? And if there is, God, that we would take care of that. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Open our hearts to what it has to say to us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. In the book of Matthew 19, there's this moment where a young man comes up to Jesus. You, you, you remember the story. We, we often call it the rich young ruler. And he comes up to Jesus, and he, he's honest, and he's sincere in this moment. He said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And there's something we appreciate about that young man because there's probably a ton of young men that were running around not worried a bit about where they stood with God. But here this young man had a sincere and real faith and he said, God, I just, Lord, I just want to know what I need to do to be right with you. And Jesus gives him kind of the boilerplate answer. Well, keep the commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all these things I've done since I was a kid. I've got that part. I'm, I'm on it. I, I recognize that. I just wondered if there's anything more that I need to do. And then Jesus says to this young man a phrase that often we skip, but probably applies to many of us gathered here today. This one thing you lack. This one thing is is necessary. Yes, you're doing a great job in so many other places in your life, but there's this, there's this one thing. There's this one thing that really needs to improve. There's this one thing that really needs to change. A few weeks ago, we, well, actually a few months ago now, I was preparing for this sermon and I was talking a little bit in, in the, our morning meeting on Monday with, with the, the crew here that works here at church. And, and I said, uh, said, I've been thinking a lot about one of the sermons that I've been preparing for our Exodus series. And so I laid out a challenge to, to, to the gang that were there that day. I said, hey guys, here's the deal. We're just not going to complain. No three of us. We're not going to complain this entire week. 
You, you should know the players are Julie and Jason and McKay, okay? All right. <clears throat> We're not going to complain for an entire week. Now, that sounded like brilliance right there, right? Um, I, I thought this is, this is going to be a great, a great challenge for everybody, right? Because, I, I mean, it's like a week, right? We're not swearing off complaining for eternity here. We're, we're just swearing off complaining for a week. I think along about Wednesday, we started complaining about not being able to complain. I'm telling you guys, it was one of the most difficult weeks that we've ever had. Julie's told me, sweared me to secrecy that I could not tell which week it was, all right? <laughs> She's like, all oh, my family's going to be saying, which week was that, Jason? Yeah, and I'm in the same boat. We had no realization of how difficult it is not to complain until you just try for a week not to complain. So here, we, since we did it, <laughs> I challenge you, I double doggy dare you to not complain any this week. It was about Friday, I think, of that week. I, I don't remember when. I was sitting alone. And I was moved to a place of tears, which doesn't happen very long in my life or very often in my life. Because I realized that I've sat in church services and around the tables of people in the third world who do not have enough clothes to wear, enough food to eat, and I have never once heard them complain. It made me sick to my stomach. Here I am living in the United States with everything that I could possibly imagine and want. A relationship with the creator of the universe. A family that is wonderful. And I can't stop complaining for a week while there are people in this world, brothers and sisters of ours, who don't have the things that they need to survive. Who are dying of curable diseases. But they don't complain. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. This is going to be a tough sermon. It's tough on me. I'm not preaching you this sermon this morning as somebody who has mastered this. I've got this figured out. No, I'm just preaching you this sermon this morning as a fellow struggler. Because as you, you cannot get through the story of the book of Exodus without recognizing that the children of Israel had a problem that we have. We may have a lot of things figured out, and we may be doing better than average in our own personal walk with God. We may know more scripture than other people. We may really have a sincere and abiding faith in God and a desire to do what God's called us to do. But guys, we have a problem normally in the United States, in church in the United States, that the children of Israel really struggled with as well. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis, or Exodus rather, the 16th chapter, and you can stick your finger in there. But I want you to start off this morning, I want to just read to you a text from 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and verse 10. This problem was so remarkable among the children of Israel that, that generations later, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul chooses to use these people as an illustration of how God dealt with his people so long ago. And really, all of 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about the Israelites. I just cherry-picked a section here for the sake of time, but you'll understand why in a moment as we read it together. Paul says to the church in Corinth, and do not grumble. Now this morning, I want you to realize that I'm using, I'm using two words here this morning rather interchangeably. 
I'm talking about complaining and I'm talking about grumbling. And really, in the literal sense of the term, we're talking about grumbling. The difference in those two words is somewhat, is somewhat different. Someone might complain of pain. They're just noticing that they have that. Grumbling is a bad attitude that accompanies a complaint. But most of us don't think about grumbling as much as we do complaining. There is a difference between pointing out fact and complaining about it. Paul says to the church in Corinth, and do not grumble as some of them did, speaking of the children of Israel, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We oftentimes quote that last verse, don't we? You guys have heard it many, many times before. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, right? We, we, we quote that, but we often don't take that in the context of where it was nestled in the Scripture. Remarkably, the Apostle Paul here is dealing with something that's very familiar to most of us when he says, don't complain like the children of Israel did. And the destroying angel was visited on them. We'll look at that in just a moment. But he says, these things happen as examples to you so that you don't repeat their mistakes. So let's look at the children of Israel. We're in Exodus 16. And you remember, we've just passed through the Red Sea. Amazing experience. Four days out of the Red Sea experience, they've gone into the wilderness. They have no water to drink. And you might remember that was the end part of our sermon last week. Right after this wonderful praise and worship service, they don't have a drink. They, they, they cry out to God. They begin to complain to God. We don't have anything to drink, God. And God tells Moses, Moses, get that chunk of wood and throw it in the water, right? Throws a chunk of wood in the water, water's good to drink, everyone's happy. But now we're just a little bit farther down the road, and all that food and supplies that they brought with them for this big, epic camping trip have begun to run out. And in Exodus 16 and verse 2, they come to this realization that they are in, in physical need of food. And here's what they said. There in the desert, they all grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, they said. There we sat by pots of meat, and we ate bread to our fill, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. <laughs> I know we look at that and we're like... Shame, shame, guys. I cannot believe that. I mean, you guys just saw the, the Red Sea passing. You know that God didn't bring you out here to starve. You guys just didn't have anything to drink a, a few days ago. And, and you know God made undrinkable water, water drinkable. You, you know in your heart that God did not bring out, you out here to starve. But rather than the children of Israel saying, uh, Moses, Aaron, we got a little problem. We packed about a week's worth of food because we thought we were going out to, to worship God out here for a week or so. And God turned this little worship trip into a permanent vacation from slavery. Um, we have a little issue because we don't really have enough food to eat. Rather than coming and pointing out the obvious need, which was real, and God was aware of, and God had a plan for they chose to grumble. And I want you to notice the difference in that. It's really obvious right there. They grumbled and they said, oh, if we could have just died in Egypt, 
Man, if we, well, God had just killed us there rather than dragging us out. I mean, at least we would have died with a full belly. You guys get that? There's just this, this attitude that accompanies it, right? This sassiness, this sarcasm, this pride. There was a problem. There was a need. There was nothing wrong in observing that need. But they weren't there to just say that there was a problem or a need. They were there because they wanted to whine about it and complain about it. You know, as you look at Scripture, you find out that 14 different times throughout Scripture, the children of Israel complained. And I I want to start with this this morning. Let's just acknowledge something. Because the story of the children of Israel helps us to see something. It helps us to acknowledge that it's a big deal to be a complainer. Here's one of the things that, that frustrates me about my own life is, is I, I'm a complainer, all right? I woke up this morning, walked down the stairs of my house, saw that my whole front yard was flooded, and guess what I did? Oh, man, it rained. I don't like rain. I'm, I'm sorry, I just tell you guys this right now. I don't like rain too well. I think I could live in a desert, but I haven't lived there. Um, I don't like rain because rain, when it comes down in proportions with which we've received this fall, makes mud. And I really hate mud, all right? Mud makes it hard to drive. Mud makes life miserable. Mud comes in the house, all right? Mud, make, mud is just an aggravation to me. As I'm stepping down the stairs this morning, guys, to preach a sermon with you guys about the dangers of complaining, guess what I did? Complained. <laughs> Guys, we just need to be real upfront here and acknowledge something. It's a big deal to be a complainer. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, don't be grumblers, don't be complainers like those guys because the death angel killed them. Fourteen various times, the children of Israel find themselves grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. Now, Paul isn't finished only telling the Corinthians about the dangers of grumbling and complaining. In fact, he also writes to the church in Philippi with a very similar accommodation. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing, the ESV says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you will shine like lights in the world. And so he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining or grumbling and disputing. I'm okay with that, except that word all. Because there's just some things that I like to do with grumbling and complaining. How about you? Anybody here? I like to pay taxes with grumbling and complaining. All right? I like to wash dishes with grumbling and complaining. It just goes better for me. All right? I like to take out the trash with a certain amount of murmuring and muttering. All right? Because it just seems like I feel better about it. I like to go out in the morning when it's raining with a little muttering and complaining. But Paul says right here, do all things, Jason Corder. Without those things. Children of Israel had never figured that out yet. They start off complaining because Moses came, right? In fact, in in Exodus 5, they said, "We, we had it good, Moses, until you showed up and started talking about the promised land and worshiping God. And then the Pharaoh cracked down on us and took away all of our straw. They didn't have it good. They were slaves, but they forgot that. 
Exodus 14, the people complained to Moses and said, why don't you just let us alone? We don't want any more of your intervention, Moses. Exodus 15, the people complained about bitter water. We talked about that a moment ago. In Exodus 16 here, in the first four verses, they complained because they don't have enough food. And then in Exodus 17, they complained again because they're thirsty again. I want you to notice that these first five times, God just provides for their needs. But i got to be really honest with you. It's a big deal to complain. The next nine times, God isn't so jolly. See, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but, but our complaining really indicates to God something about the quality of our faith. The sixth time that people complained is in Exodus 32, which we, we're going to skip around a little bit because the story of the Exodus begins to move between Exodus and the book of Numbers quite a lot. But in Exodus 32, the people forsook the Lord. They complained because Moses went up on the mountain and he didn't come down in the time that they thought he should come down. And so what did they do? They made a golden calf and they started worshiping that. And God intervenes and the Levites go through that group of people and slayed a lot of them. The mixed multitude in Numbers 11 complains about the food. They were tired of manna that God provided. God burns the outskirts of the camp. Miriam and Aaron complain about Moses' leadership. They said, why is it only you that gets to talk to God? What about us? And God gives Miriam leprosy. She's completely covered with leprosy. And Moses has to go and intercede on her behalf. The people complained about how difficult it looked to conquer the land of Canaan. They've come right up against the land of Canaan, gone in and seen everything as exactly as God had said after having witnessed God working on their behalf time and time and time again. But they go up against that promised land and then they complain to the point where they're going to kill Moses and Aaron because that's the easiest thing to do, right? The two guys that aren't complaining, if you want to complain, what do you do? You shut down the people who aren't complaining. And then you can have all the complaining you want. Except that God said, no, you aren't going to do that. And God begins to kill the people. In fact, (laughs) he's so frustrated with it that they just wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years until that whole generation over the age, adults listen up to this, over the age of 20 or 21, I can't remember exactly, every adult died off. God said, kids, I'm going to give you a chance. Maybe that means that sometimes we as adults are worse complainers than kids. I I don't know. Maybe God was just being gracious. The tenth time was the people complained again. They wanted to kill Moses and they wanted to select another leader. (laughs) And the Lord destroys the people with a pestilence. The key leaders rebel against Moses, Nahab and Abihu, you might remember that, and God opens up the earth and swallows them up. The people complained again, and again, they accuse Moses of killing God's people, and God deals with that. The people contend with Moses again over no water, and Moses gets angry this time. The people complained against God and Moses in Numbers 21, and God finally brings a solution. As far as we have recorded in Scripture, this is the last time that the people complained. God sent some kind of a serpent crawling through the camp that bit people and killed people and hurt people to the point that I think he was attempting to show them just the depth of their sin nature. It was such a plague that, in fact, you might remember that, 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 that Moses took a snake and he made a bronze image of it and he lifted it up on his stick. And if you were to get bit by one of these snakes, you could go and you would look at that stake and you would be saved. And it was a type of what God was going to do with Jesus generations 
later. I'm not telling you this this morning just because I want you all to go home and feel depressed. I'm telling you this this morning because I want you to realize something. Complaining is a big deal. And I make excuses for it. Probably you make excuses for it. That's got to stop. God hates complaining. And there's some reasons why. It's not that God doesn't want us to express ourselves to Him. It's not that God is so small in His character that He can't hear a criticism from us once in a while. No, certainly different people, faithful people, cried out to God and vented frustration. Job being one of the most notable cases where he went to God and he said, God, why do you do this and why do you allow this to happen? You might remember God's response to Job was to talk about things that Job had no idea of and then say to Job, Job, there's just some things in this world that are bigger than you. So let's recognize a couple of the dangers, really four of the dangers that come from, from, from grumbling and complaining. Number one, complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, but in everything give thanks. Once again, there's that Everything. That all word, right? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Guys, there's some things that it's easy to give thanks for. Beautiful day like yesterday, it's easy to give thanks, right? It's a little bit more difficult to give thanks for a rainy day like today. But there's times and moments in life where we look at certain things and we say, God, I don't want to give thanks for this. I don't see any reason to give thanks for this. And yet Paul says, in all things, give thanks to God. You know, guys, what Paul is describing there is a transformed attitude that for some of us just seems so foreign because, because we are so consumed with us. We're so into how everything affects us and how everything makes this moment feel for us. And God said sometimes things are just bigger than you, Jason. Sometimes there's things at work that I'm accomplishing that are larger than just your particular experience or your particular life. Not only does complaining the opposite of thanksgiving, which I think is pretty obvious, but complaining poisons our attitude. If we're honest with ourselves, guys, let's be honest this morning, complaining makes us feel better, doesn't it? Something's bad, you got to do something distasteful, you got to eat some crow, you've got to turn the other cheek at least... Let me complain about it, right? At least let me mutter about it. At least let me fuss about it a little. But you guys, that's just an illusion. Because if you're angry and you complain about it, it doesn't make you less angry. It just makes you more angry. God knows this, all right? If you're frustrated, complaining about something doesn't make you feel better. You think it does here, but you look at what really happens in the end game. You complain about it. Someone else feeds back into that complaint, and you end up more frustrated than you were when you started that conversation. If you're discontent, if you're wanting something that somebody else has, if you're struggling with jealousy, complaining about it doesn't make you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm not so bad. No, complaining about it tends to make us even more discontented and more frustrated and more more jealous. One of the reasons why God is so against complaining is he realizes that it doesn't solve anything. It only amplifies things. 
If you have a problem with a, with a spouse in marriage, complaining about that just makes that problem bigger. If you're having an issue with a boss at work, complaining about that tends to only complicate that issue. Because somebody goes back to the boss and says, you know, Jason was complaining about you in the break room today. And all of a sudden now, you have the original issue, and now you've got another issue to deal with. You guys know this, right? But we don't stop and think this. Whoa, through sometimes. I'm going to break the pulpit in half today. We're angry, we're dissatisfied. It takes us from beyond a bad mood to a bad attitude. And I think we've all been there before. Complaining infects the attitudes of others as well. <laughs> Truthfully, a lot of times, have you ever had this happen before? You're having a pretty good day and then somebody comes up and complains about something. I, I was eating somewhere a while ago and I'll be honest, the food wasn't great. All right, It was all right. But it wasn't anything spectacular. But I, I like to eat. Right? So I'm, I'm wolfing it down. I'm not a very discerning tongue. Someone comes up and says, I can't eat this. This is terrible. I got thinking, you know, it isn't very good. You know, this is pretty awful. For the price I paid, this should be better. All of a sudden, I was enjoying a meal. And guess what, guys? Here's the end of the game. I'm still going to have to pay for that meal, and I'm either going to have to eat that meal or eat something else, right? But now I don't even like it. Because complaining not only affects us, but it affects the people around us. It not only makes us bitter, but it makes people around us bitter. It not only takes the joy out of our lives, but it takes the joy out of other people's lives, too. This is why God hates complaining so much. When we share our negative discontentment, it can have the same negative effect on somebody else's attitude, and especially if they're spiritually or emotionally weak. You might run into somebody. I have a good friend in, in Minnesota. His name is Steve, and Steve is just this wonderfully optimistic person. And, and sometimes as a younger guy, I would complain about something or some situation or somebody in the church, and Steve would always turn that around and help me to see the other side of that. And the church needs more people like that. I, I love that about Steve. Right? Um, it's just a, it's a spiritual gift that he has, but so often we can do the opposite without meaning to to somebody who's spiritually or emotionally weaker than we are. And the fourth thing that's dangerous about complaining is that complaining shifts responsibility from us to somebody else. When I'm honest with myself, much of what I complain about are the consequences of my own actions and mistakes. My own failure to prepare my own, my own recognition of reality, my own, my own understanding of what really is going on in life. And, and not all the time, guys, but a lot of times we complain about things that we kind of contributed to. And when we complain about them, we have this opportunity to kind of back out of that. Well, my, my, my husband is such and such, or my wife is such and such, my boss is this or that. And we, by complaining, we don't have to ask ourselves the question, how did I make the relationship with my boss poor? What am I doing to strengthen the relationship with my husband or wife or my children? What am I doing on my part to make this work out? Now, listen... If you guys think that you're the only ones in this boat, you aren't, all right? This has been going on since the beginning of time. Remember Genesis, the third chapter, man and Adam and Eve sin, and God comes down and he has this conversation with Adam, and he says, Adam, why did you do it? And Adam says this in verse number 12 of Genesis 3. He says, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Complained about this beautiful thing that God had made for him. 
God made a, a woman right out of his rib. And when he got her, he's like, whoa, hot mama, right? But now she gets him in trouble. And he's like, it's your fault, God. You gave me that woman. I mean, I was just fine in the garden behaving and following all the rules until you gave me Eve. No, Adam, you chose that. No, Eve, you, you knew what was wrong and you were deceived. So let's talk about how do we step away from complaining. It doesn't really take a lot, but it takes some effort. Number one, we remember simply this, that God knows what he's doing. The people in this world that I've noticed that aren't complainers have something just deep within them where they trust God for real. And they believe that God knows what he's doing in this world. They recognize that none of us are going to get out of this world alive and that none of us are going to have a cakewalk in this world. And they, they practically look at the life of God's own son, Jesus Christ, and the story we have recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They look at that and they see, you know what? Jesus put, or God put Jesus into this world and he sure had some heartaches. He had some flaky friends. He had to pay taxes. He dealt with the brokenness and the hurting and the needs of people that were all around and was constant and it was relentless. He understood stress. He understood physical pain and heartache. One of the great stories of the Old Testament that means so much to me, every time I read it, I just go away kind of embarrassed, but is the story of Joseph. Young guy who God had told him great things were going to be a result of his life, and he didn't have the sense yet as a, as a young man to keep his mouth shut about it, and so he tells his brothers, he tells his family, oh yeah, God said I'm going to be something great, and they just already hated him, and they hated him anymore, and then daddy gets him this pretty coat of many colors, which was just a signet, it was a, was a, was a, uh, a mark that, God, that his dad loved him more than his other brothers probably, and he goes to check up on the other brothers and they see him coming and they're talking about killing him. Finally, Reuben convinces him just to throw him in a pit and they sell him off into slavery. He gets to slavery and he's unjustly accused of fooling around with Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown in prison. He bails. He interprets correctly, interprets dreams of two prisoners, a cupbearer and a butler, whom he met while in prison. And when the butler was restored and the baker was, was, was killed, the butler completely forgot about Joseph, went on with his life, happy that his crisis had been alleviated. And yet in all of this time, we never have a recorded moment that Joseph ever complains. In fact, we have a little insight into Joseph's attitude in Genesis, the 45th chapter. In this moment where his brothers, who had sold him into slavery, now come starving because of a great famine to receive the grain that Joseph had put up. And you notice in Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8, Joseph says this to his brothers. He said, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. <laughs> Which, if I was a brother, I'd be like, you should feel shamed for the kind of lousy person you are. But that's not what Joseph says. He says, guys, don't worry about it. Because God has sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph was willing to understand God knows what he's doing. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why this has worked out like this. I don't know why the options that I chose didn't happen. But God, I, I trust that you know what you're doing. Number two, in order for us to quit complaining, we've got to trust God and believe that he knows what he's doing but also we've got to deal with bitterness. Much of what I've complained with in my life are bitternesses that I've held on to 
for many years. And I think a grudge is nothing more than an aging complaint that is still being held against another person. The longer you com- carry that complaint against another person, the greater possibility it will be that it becomes a grudge that's too heavy to handle. And complaining just feeds right into that. Complaining can give birth to resentment. Peter, 1 Peter, the fourth chapter in verse 9, Peter writes this. He said, to be hospitable to one another without complaint. This isn't just something that Genesis deals with or Exodus deals with. This is not something that just Paul talks about. James and Peter and others talk about it as well. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 14 and 15, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and holiness, without which no one can see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. See, when bitterness, when bitterness swell, kind of dwells in our lives, guys, I, I can tell you this in my own life, when I'm bitter for a long time, all of a sudden I, I have agendas and things that I'm going to improve and, and, and motivations that just aren't godly. And lastly, we can step away from complaining when we focus on giving thanks in all things. Give thanks in all circumstances. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God wants you to do today? He wants you to give give thanks. He wants you to roll through the rest of your day today, and whatever happens, whether you get the speeding ticket, whether whether you go home to take a nap, and the grandkids come over and bounce on your head, um, I don't know. Whatever happens today, give thanks. Find some way to give thanks. Here's the amazing things about thing about Thanksgiving, guys. When we start looking in life for reasons why we should be thankful for where we're at, rather than reasons why we should be ungrateful for where we're at, it's amazing how quickly we begin to lose the desire to complain and our attitude begins to just transform. For one thing, one of the biggest things that's a net result of that thankful attitude is this thing called joy. And it's supposed to be one of the hallmarks of Christians. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace, right? And sometimes we look at believers in Christ and we're like, love, joy, and peace? I'm not sure that's a top three, but it should be. And maybe that's because we we're so busy worried about things we don't have or things that could have been different or things or people who should be different that we don't ever give a stop to give thanks for the things that we do have. Now, guys, listen, I'll never give thanks unless I see God as a sovereign ruler of the universe who's at work through my circumstances. I'm never going to give thanks to God unless I realize that God doesn't owe me anything is what I'm trying to say this morning. A lot of us kind of run around this chip on our shoulder where God owes me something better than this. God owes me. Listen, guys, God doesn't owe any of us. Anything that we get from God is nothing but grace. And God graciously reminds us that we must remember how much He's done for us every day. As we close this morning, I want you just to Take a second. We're going to sing in a moment. We're going to let you guys get back out there into the lovely rainy weather, all right? But I want you to stop and think for a second. Where are the fingerprints of God on your life? I want you to remember how God's protected you from making a shipwreck of your life. Maybe for some of us, remember how God has graciously let you grow up in a God-loving God family. 
For some of us, maybe how God has awakened you to the ugliness of the sin that was a part of your life that was taking you over and was bringing you down. Remember how God helped you to walk away from maybe a terrible car crash or how your wife or your sister or your mom survived breast cancer. Maybe we need to remember how we had mentors and key friends to guide us and to strengthen us in our faith. We need to remember how God sustained us through that season of unemployment, even though it didn't look like there would be any way to make it through. We remember how God miraculously took care of a physical problem or a spiritual problem and healed that situation. How God answered that impossible prayer request that we laid before. And remember how when we had no money, an envelope just showed up in the mail or on the seat of a van in my case. Remember how God came alive as if never before. I mean, maybe let's just make it simple. Maybe let's just remember God. <laughs> Let me finish what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 10 where we started this morning. He said, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written down for warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. In other words, Paul's saying you have the benefit of all this history. We get to look at the children of Israel and not make their mistakes. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No room for arrogance. No temptation that has overtaken you is except which is common to mankind. <laughs> and God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Isn't that good? I'll tell you guys what is. If you take me up on the challenge this week not to complain this week, you're in for a little tough sledding. I'm just going to warn you guys right up front right now. But listen, listen, God hates complaining. And God loves thankful hearts. God loves it when we look around and we say, man, God, you are good. You have been so good to me. And, 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 and Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 10, listen, don't get arrogant, but look for the way out. There's always something in every situation for which you can be thankful. And I know you've met those people that do that and they aggravate us because we like to complain. But be one of those people. The world needs more of those people who when it's raining... When life throws them lemons, as my mom used to say, this is her favorite saying in the world, when life throws you lemons, do what? Make lemonade. I hated that when my mom said that. Oh, mom. She's exactly right. When life throws you a curveball, hit it. When life is difficult, trust. The opposite of complaining, guys, is trust. And if you let it, trust or complaints will move in and take up residence and camp out in the spare bedroom leave toothpaste all over your sink in the morning. <laughs> and there's no way to get him out unless you replace him with another house guest. The house guest of trust. Where you say to God, God, I think I'm, you know what you're doing. God, I'm going to deal with my issues that have made my perspective of this world kind of dark. And God, I'm going to thank you and live a lifestyle of thankfulness every moment of every day. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing this morning. Hey, if, if you need to come, you need to lay out something for the Lord, you're welcome to do it, as long as it's not a complaint now, all right? And man, I, I just encourage you to take my challenge this week. Try not to complain for a week. And then after a week, try not to complain for two weeks, all right? Guys, you're going to be amazed at how happy your life is. And it's going to be a little rough at first, but just like every great thing we start, the end is worth every bit of that. Let's sing together this morning.